Well, it might seem a little bit strange having singleness as one of our four talks on life issues. I mean, if there are only four talks in this series, then why uh, concentrate on an issue that affects just a few of us, you know, just a, a, a particular minority? Why not think about an issue that affects more of us? Well, the other day I went through our most uh, recent prayer diary, and you might be surprised to discover, as I was, that for every married couple in our church, there's a single adult. Um, so this is a topic for more than just a small minority. It's, uh, so it makes it a topic really worth addressing. But even if you are married, then don't think that this topic of singleness has nothing to do with you. It affects you in a couple of ways. Uh, firstly, it may be true that you're married now, yes, but there's nothing to say that you won't be single again in the future with the, uh, the death of your, your uh, spouse or uh, the breakdown of your marriage, God forbid, uh, it could mean that you once again find yourself as a single person in the future. And secondly, this topic of singleness, it affects you because, well, you need to realise that the way that you think about singleness as a married Christian can have a profound impact on the lives of the single people around you, either positively or negatively. So you might you see that this is a talk for everyone. So let's get to it. And let's begin with the difficulties of the single life. Singleness, it seems to occupy this strange place in our culture. At one level, it's the land of the free, isn't it? It's uh, the life without burdensome responsibility, you know, no ball and chain to hold you back. And yet, at the same time, it seems to be the life that most people are keen to leave behind. Why is that? Well, I think that it's because there are both internal pressures and external pressures that can make it very difficult to be a single person. To understand the internal pressures, you have to go right back to the beginning, back to the time when God first uh, created the universe. You might remember that at that time, he, God looked at his magnificent creation and he noticed that everything was very, very good. Well, everything except for just one thing. Can you remember what that was? Look with me at, your, at this Bible reference uh, from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. When God said, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. See, God looked at Adam in the garden and he saw in him someone who needed companionship, someone who needed the intimacy of that one special person. It wasn't good for the man to be alone. And so in his mercy, well, God did something about it. He gave Adam Eve. And in doing so, God set a pattern that would continue. The pattern of a, a woman and a man getting married, becoming one flesh. It was a pattern that would continue from that point onwards. So you see, God has created people, human beings, with marriage in mind. And in that way, singleness, well, it kind of runs contrary to the created order, doesn't it? We're not designed to be single. We're designed to be married. In a very real way, singleness, it goes, it goes against our design. And that means that there are often these intense uh, internal pressures faced by the single Christian. The single Christian still needs intimacy and companionship. That's how we've been created. 
but for most, it's something that's just out of their experience. In fact, sometimes it's something that has to be outside of their experience. Take uh, sexual intimacy, for example. See, the Christian single knows that God's purposes for that kind of intimacy, they lie within marriage. And so while there's this longing for intimacy, this longing for that sort of companionship, well, often it remains unfulfilled. What's that like? Well, it's a little bit like having the chicken pox. You know, when you're just so itchy and yet you know that you're not allowed to scratch. Then on top of these pressures, there are other internal pressures. God has created us to procreate, to have children, to have families. And yet for most singles, this too is something that lies outside of their experience. And that can lead to, well, it can lead to feelings of great loss. Uh, It can lead to feelings of, of incompleteness, of being half a person. I think these are feelings and pressures felt uh, more acutely by girls whose, of course, their, their reproductive body clocks are run a little bit quicker than blokes. But it's these sorts of internal pressures that can make it really quite difficult to be a single person. But on top of these internal pressures come a lot of external pressures. See, we live in a world, don't we, that largely expects that people will get married. We live in a world where marriage, it's a sign of success. You know, if you're in your 30s, if you're in your 40s and you're not married, then what's wrong with you? You know, we live in a world where we're groomed for marriage, even from childhood. Girls, they're given little dolls. Boys, they're they're, they're given toys to fix things around the house. (laughs) It's the expected norm of our families. When are you going to find a nice girl and settle down? Yes, (laughs) mum. In our Christian culture, the single person, well, let's face it, there's somebody who's who's to be pitied. And that can really be quite embarrassing for a single person. It can lead to feelings of being inferior, to feelings of being second-rate. And it's uh, feelings that are felt, felt by both girls and guys. But unfortunately, all of these pressures mean that single people may never have even considered the possibility of pursuing singleness as a positive alternative. Because we need to note that the Bible actually upholds singleness as something of value. And that's my next point on the outline the value of the single life. In Matthew chapter 19, the disciples had just been speaking to Jesus about the difficulties of marriage. And Jesus replied by suggesting that, yes, it is actually better to stay unmarried. Look with me at this uh, Bible verse, verses, uh, Matthew 19, 11 to 12. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. You see, it's true that when God created us, he created us with marriage in mind. It's true. But 
in the coming of Jesus Christ, something has changed. Since the coming of Jesus Christ, marriage has now taken a back seat to something that is even better, the gospel. And so you see, renouncing marriage for the sake of kingdom work, for the sake of gospel work, is actually something that Jesus himself encourages people to do. I wonder if that's something that you knew. But it wasn't just Jesus who felt this way. The Apostle Paul, another single man, also presented singleness as a positive and valuable way of life. Look with me at these verses from 1 Corinthians 7. Firstly, 1 Corinthians 7.1. Paul writes, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. 1 Corinthians 7.8. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Why does Paul think that it's good to be unmarried? Well, for the same reason that Jesus gave, for the sake of kingdom work, so that people can be free from the responsibilities of marriage to concentrate on working for the gospel. Read with me 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 35. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. See, whilst we have been created with marriage in mind, now, in the coming of the gospel, things change. Now it is good not to be married. Why? Well, because the advantages of being single in the work of the gospel are enormous. Think about it. A married uh, person, you know, they have to care for their husband and wife. They have responsibilities towards them. They've got responsibilities towards their children. For myself, if there's something that's really quite important to be done, well, I don't particularly mind if the dishes pile up at home. I don't particularly mind if the house gets a little bit untidy. You know, I can get home late. Um, I can work into the wee hours of the morning if I have to. I have the freedom to do things for the gospel that married people just can't do. I'm free with my time. I'm free with my money. I'm free with my energy. Friends, see that the, in the Bible there is a real, genuine call for people to set aside marriage for gospel work. That singleness is presented as something of value now, we wouldn't want to go too far. We would never want to say that singleness is a more superior or a more holy way to live than marriage. No, that's going too far. But we need to realise that marriage in the Bible is held out as something of value. I think that the idea is that whether you're single or you're married, you should be happy to stay put. Make the best of it. Unless... Circumstances dictate change. What circumstances would dictate change? 
Well, in the case of the married person, the only possible change is when your partner dies or when your non-Christian partner deserts you. For the single person, however, the circumstances for change, well, they've got to do with lacking control, of, of being aflame, of acting improperly. Read with me 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 2. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to, be, not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Or 1 Corinthians 7, 8 to 9. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Or 1 Corinthians 7.36 If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. See, when a single person is aflame, when they're acting improperly, the best thing they can do is get married. If you're single here this morning and you can't control your sexual urges, then get married. Now, if that seems just a little bit clinical to you, a little bit not worthy of marriage, then I, can I suggest that perhaps you have too romantic a view of marriage and not romantic enough view of sex? Because the bottom line is, if you can't remain single, if you're burning with passion, get married. That's what the Bible says. If you aren't burning with passion, then stay single. It's valuable and it's got its advantages. But either way, be holy. But I know what some, if not all, of the single people in the room this morning are thinking, yes, I can read your minds. <laughs> because, you see, it's a little bit more complicated than that, isn't it? Because there are going to be many people here this morning who have decided that, no, the single life is not right for them. But when it actually comes to getting married, well, finding a marriage partner, it's not quite that easy and they find that it's just not happening. You know, there are those girls who just aren't getting asked out. Uh, there are the guys who, who have simply lost their nerve as a result of rejection. There's a whole heap of reasons why getting married isn't as easy as it might first seem. And this can be incredibly frustrating and incredibly painful for a single person. So what does the Bible have to say to people like this? And there's lots of them. Well, we need to realise that the Bible clearly teaches us that our identity and our fulfilment is not found in our marital status, but it is found rather in Christ. Our identity and our fulfilment are found in Christ, not whether we are married or single. Read with me 1 John 3, 1-2. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Please listen carefully. Our identity, our fulfilment as Christians is not found in marriage. That's the way the world thinks. Now, if you're a Christian, married or single, then you are first and foremost 
a child of God. And friends, what greater identity, what greater fulfilment could you possibly ever hope for? You are a child of the one true living God, adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. And our hope, well, it's in his gospel. As I've already said, the gospel changes our understanding of marriage. Yes, in the created order, we have been created for marriage. But in the gospel, we know that soon the whole created order as we know it will be done away with. That through the gospel, there will soon be a new heaven and a new earth, a new age, a new created order. That is our hope as the children of God. It was Jesus who said about that time in Matthew 22:30, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. See, in heaven there will no longer be marriage as we know it. No longer will a man and a woman unite to become one flesh. But there will be another kind of marriage. When John was given his revelation... Uh, you know, when the curtains of the windows of heaven were pulled back and he was able to peer on in. This is what he saw, Revelation 21, 9 to 10. One of the seven angels who had, seen, who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. See, in the new creation, there will be a new kind of marriage. Christ, the lamb, will be the bridegroom, and we, the church, will be his bride. And it's this future orientation that needs to keep our understanding on earthly marriage and earthly singleness in perspective. Marriage, it's not eternal. It's, it's, it's about to be transformed along with the rest of creation. Yes, it is a, a good part of our world, but it's a part of the world that's passing away. In the new creation, marriage will be transformed, as will singleness. In eternity, we will not be divided into partners. No, we will all be married to Christ. And when that day comes, we will all live in intimate fellowship. None of us, none of us, will be alone again. And so it's so important for us to note that in the scheme of things, well, friends, marital status now, it counts for nothing. If we're to do more than just play at being Christians, then I think we need to take God at his word on this. We need to trust him. Our identity, our fulfilment are found in Christ. We're simply called to be, in, to be holy and righteous in whatever part of life we find ourselves. And so, friends, as we set about doing this, let me offer a few tips on singleness. First, let me offer some tips to single Christians, and then I'll offer some tips uh, to married Christians. The first tip for single Christians is to learn contentment. Learn contentment. You know, rather than feeling bad about your lot, trying to change your state... It's too unimportant for that. Learn contentment. 
Do as much for the gospel while you can. You know, go on a short-term mission. Go to Bible college. Help out in kids' church. Read those theological books. Do all of those things that married people find it so difficult to do. But learn contentment. Don't complain. Don't go around like a hungry beggar. You know, don't be miserable as you wait for marriage. I think that many single people who give up their fixation on marriage and actually attack life with a positive attitude, find that there's so much to be, to be gained uh, in contentment, uh, in satisfaction, in all that worthwhile work that can be done for God. Learn contentment. Secondly, don't make looking for a partner your focus. Pray for a partner, yes. Look for a partner, yes. But don't make it your life's focus. Go out with friends. Initiate social activities. Enjoy friendships. I have a friend named Lois. Uh, she's a lady in her 50s, an unmarried lady, who I really respect so much. And I asked her what advice she would give to a young single woman on this issue. And the best advice that she could give was, don't treat every bloke you meet as a possible marriage partner. She went on to say, you know, that that sort of thinking, well, that's the sort of thinking that can make you anxious. Instead, she said... Look to make friendships, uh, not marriage partners. Thirdly, learn to be godly while single. Guys, train yourselves in godly thinking. You know, videos, movies, jokes, porn sites, fantasies in your mind, none of them are helpful for marriage down the track. And none of them represent the way that God calls you to live now. Also, don't flirt with non-Christians. And I guess I say this to both sexes, but I think it's the girls that need to hear it the loudest. Don't flirt with non-Christians, because to do so is to flirt with hell. And no, I don't think I'm overstating the matter. Don't fall for that, you know, the flirt to convert mentality. You know, if only I go out with her or him, you know, maybe they'll become a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Nine out of ten times, it'll be you that'll convert. And even if uh, through God's grace somehow you happen to remain a Christian and you end up married to a non-Christian, you need to know that it's going to be a hard and rocky road, no, matter, uh, no doubt harder than singleness ever was. Uh, you've got to remember that all of the attitudes between a Christian and non-Christian are different. You've got to be married to somebody who has completely different attitudes on money, um, to the way that you bring up your kids, to sex, to what you do on Sunday mornings, to the way you show hospitality. And all of these things, their attitudes are going to be different to yours. If you're a girl, then you need to know that if you're married to a non-Christian man, you'll be needing to submit to a man who is still under the rule of Satan. Uh, do you really want that? It, it's a complete mess, isn't it? Don't go there. Finally, four. Realise that there is no promise from God about getting a marriage partner. So don't expect, don't demand. And I think this is the hardest of all, because we, be, we need to have patient contentment in God's sovereignty. And that's easy to say. But if it is truly God who is in control of our future marriages, as he is, and if it is within his purposes to find us a marriage partner, then I think we have to trust that he'll do it, and he'll do it in his own time. All right, there's some tips for single Christians. Now to finish, uh, some tips for married Christians. And I think it is a complete travesty that any single Christian in our church would ever be left with feelings of aloneness. And yet in my dealings with other single people in our church, I realise that some are. 
And that means that as a church, we're failing them. So here's a few tips. Firstly, keep single people involved. Keep them involved. One of the most frustrating things about singleness is that as one by one your good friends get married, one by one they seem to drop off the radar. You just don't see them anymore. And now I know that to a certain extent that's just the way it is. You've now got family responsibilities. But hang on a second. You're part of a church family too, aren't you? You have responsibilities here too. Maybe it's a matter of involving single people in your family home life. Maybe it's a matter of not becoming so family orientated in your thinking that you forget to include your single friends in the things you do. It'll mean not belonging to an exclusive marriage-only club. You know, do you go on holidays with other families? Well, why not invite a couple of single people along too? When I said earlier that single people have that advantage of being freer to do more gospel work than yourselves, well, that doesn't mean that they don't also need to be involved in significant relationships. They do. And that includes relationships with people their own age. It involves more than just having them come and babysit the kids. So involve them in your lives. Secondly, don't pity single people. If you feel pity towards a single person, then that only adds to that person's struggle. I believe that there is a serious need for our churches to esteem singleness as highly as the Bible does. And I think this involves a revolution in our thinking. Don't pity single people. Does that mean that matchmaking is out of the question? Well, no, I don't think so. (laughs) But it does mean not making the quest for marriage the topic of conversation every time you meet up with a single person. Their identity, your identity for that matter, is not found in marital status. Remember that. And finally, be truthful to single people. One of the great problems for single people, I think, is that we tend to have this and they all lived happily ever after mentality about marriage. That following marriage, we can all live in undisturbed bliss. If you are married, then please do admit that marriage is not plain sailing. That it's not all a bed of roses. You know, this can be really helpful to single people. To, to do anything else, well, it's to give totally unrealistic expectations to a single person. Admit that marriage is hard work. It's unfortunate that in Christian circles there is this conspiracy of silence where we're not allowed to say that we're having marriage, marriage, marriage difficulties. Well, that's not helpful for single people and it's certainly not helpful for you and your marriage. We need to break down these walls of silence. So there's some tips for both single people and married people. In conclusion, let me say that there is lots, lots more that we could say on this topic, but we are way out of time. So let me finish by saying that I think that if we're going to be serious about helping people who are living uh, a single life, in fact, if we're going to be serious about helping anybody in all of the life issues that we're going to be looking at, if we're going to be serious, then we really need to be praying for each other, praying for each other at home and praying for each other when we come together like this. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that it's in Jesus that we find our identity and our fulfilment. We thank you that through him we have become children of God. 
Father, forgive us when we seek to find our identity in the things of this world, in the things that are passing away. Help us each to keep an eternal perspective, especially on marriage and singleness. We pray for single people within our church for whom singleness is a real struggle. I give them peace and contentment. Help them to remain godly and fill them with the hope of heaven, that time when none of us shall be divided into partners any longer, when none of us shall be alone again. Fill them with hope where we, about that, with that time when we shall each be married to Christ Jesus. We pray that as a church we might have a particular heart for single people, where we fulfil our responsibility as a church family to care for and to include them and all people in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.